0: 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 3 tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, anybody want to praise the Lord tonight? I don't want to not give you opportunity. My wife and I are very thankful for our trip. Uh, we enjoyed it. It was good weather, uh, traveling. wasn't too bad on On Friday or Saturday when we went down, the traffic was, it got pretty heavy. Uh, we came back, traffic wasn't too bad, uh, so we thanked the Lord. And we had a good time with the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. <laughs> and the weather was absolutely gorgeous, just perfect for me. wasn't hot, wasn't cold, just right. All right, we're in chapter three, and our text tonight's the first four verses. It says, "And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal." Even as babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to hear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, Are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith I'm of Paul, another I'm of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Father, again, we're thankful for your word. We thank you for preserving this particular book, and Lord, all 66 books. You breathe them out to us, and you've promised to preserve them from that generation forever. And Lord, it's a wonderful blessing to know we have your word and your words. That we don't have to wonder, we don't have to fear that there may be a mistake. And Lord, there are so many things in our world that change day by day. But thank you that your word never changes. And we can stand on it. Now, bless us as we look to these four verses. Once again, open our spiritual eyes and our minds of understanding. And we're needed and necessary. Convict, reprove, and rebuke, and exhort, meet the need of every heart, every life here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to this chapter, we have to bear in mind that the Apostle Paul was what we might call the spiritual father to the believers in Corinth. Look over at chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. We know, according to Acts chapter 18, go over there for just a minute, hold your place in Corinthians, just back a few pages, Acts chapter 18, we have the record of Paul's visit to Corinth. I'll not read all of it, but in verse 1 it says, and after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. In verse 11, it says, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul, no doubt, had won many of the Corinthians to Christ himself. He spent 18 months there working with these people and laboring among them in an effort to feed his spiritual children, the spiritual food that they would need to be grounded in the faith, 18 months. And he says he taught them the word of God. By the way, that's the diet of a true believer who wants to grow, the word of God. We get grounded in it, and we grow from that point. As we read back in Corinthians, after 18 months, Paul resumed that missionary journey, his second, and he returned then to Antioch, to ascending church, and he gave a report. Now, if you want to study it out, you'll find out that each time Paul went on a missionary journey, he came back and gave a report. And that's why we bring our missionaries in when we can, to have them give a report of what's going on in their mission field. Now, later, we don't know the exact timing, but The best I can tell, it was probably five years later that Paul now is in Ephesus and he's writing back to the church at Corinth because he's heard some things. And they have not been good things. There are problems in this church in Corinth. And Paul, having that burden for these people, writes to them, And he deals with several issues. In the text we've read, we see Paul dealing with another issue, another problem in the church at Corinth and among the believers. And that problem was that they were carnal Christians. That means they were living to please the flesh, rather than living in accordance to the word of God and spiritual principles. And Paul in this text deals with the root of their carnality. And that was the fact that they were immature spiritually. They've been saved. He doesn't doesn't rebuke them or in any way indicate that they're not Christians but they are immature Christians. They've been saved, but they've apparently failed to move very far from that place of salvation in their spiritual life. Pastor Fadenus said this. He said in the opening verses of chapter 1, Paul praises the Corinthian Christians as to their position in Christ. That's their salvation. That's our position. Positionally, we are in Christ. Positionally, we're already in heaven. But practically, we're still here. And Paul's not dealing with their position, but their practice. He praises them for their position in Christ. Now in the opening verses of chapter 3, Paul describes their practices as immature Christians. Paul graphically describes their spiritual condition as carnal. And by the way, when he writes this, he proves to us that it's possible for a person to be saved, but to fail to grow spiritually. It's a tragedy, but it's a possibility. So the first thing we want to look at tonight is a problem is identified. What's their problem? They're carnal because they are spiritually immature. He calls them brethren. Brethren. We know that brethren indicates fellow believers in Christ. And you know, as we think about this, you take any body of believers, and you're going to find varying levels, varying levels of maturity among those believers. Now, all are part of the family but they're not all on the same level in their growth. Paul, as we read here, bemoans the spiritual level of maturity of these particular believers. He calls them babes in Christ. Now, I've said many times, I say it again tonight, nobody is born grown up. When you're born, you're born as a, as a baby. And from that point, the expectation is that you will grow and mature into an adult. Paul calls these people babes because the expectation has not been met. <laughs> we read that. And in reality, when you read that they're babes, it actually identifies them as being basically on the same level as a new convert. But they've been saved probably five years. That's that's Paul's burden. Hey, I I won these folks to Christ and, and, and started that church five years ago and and they should be maturing in their christian faith but from from the testimonies i've heard it's not happening you know somebody said this a new convert who is a babe in christ is a wonderful thing and then they said everyone loves a baby Don't we? I mean, some gal comes walking into church with a little baby in her arms, all the women have to go see the baby. Everyone loves a baby. But you see, a believer who's failed to grow in their Christian life is a tragedy. I said Paul considered himself to be their spiritual father. But now as he writes to them, he's saying to them, I have to tailor my teaching according to your spiritual immaturity. I can't give you meat. I have to give you milk. And I believe from the tone of what's written here, it was breaking Paul's heart. You see, there's a principle here, and I as a pastor have to be careful with this. We have to tailor our teaching according to the maturity level of those that we're talking to. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, tonight I'm dealing with things that I probably would not deal with in the morning service. You say, well, why is that? I'm not being critical, but a lot of times in your morning service, you'll have less mature Christians who really aren't ready for the deeper teachings. And so we have to be careful. And and you personally have to be careful. When you deal with people, if you're dealing with a new convert, you can't, you can't deal with them the same as you do with a mature Christian. So we kind of have to tailor what we're doing. Well, When Paul writes here, it's evident these people were not able to handle the deeper things. John Phillips said something here I want to share with you. He said, doctrine did not interest them. What they wanted were the gifts. As you read 1 Corinthians, especially when you get to 13 and 14, it becomes very evident. They had a problem with spiritual gifts, tongues, healings, prophecies, those kind of things. They were enamored with them. And uh, let me just say, I think that even today, being enamored with those kind of things reveals spiritual immaturity. We'll see that from the Word. But he goes on. He says they were not interested in doctrine. What they wanted were the gifts, tongues, healings, prophecies, etc. The sign gifts. No wonder Paul tells them bluntly that they're clever and capable, as they no doubt were. Though they were clever and capable, they were still children. Go over to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll jump ahead here for just a second. The interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 13. I went one page too far. Let me get back where I need to be. And verse 11. Now, remember, he's dealing with this idea of gifts, He knows their attitude, and he says this. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Let me just say this. There's a time to grow up. Hmm? We're living in what I consider very difficult days. I'm living, many of you are living, in a whole different world than what we grew up in. One of the things we were talking about, this was somebody just, I think while we were away, about the young people of today and their failure to know how to work, their failure to have character. Many areas that in prior years we didn't have problems with. And I think it comes back to this idea of they've not grown up. They've not become mature adults. They're still very much children in a lot of ways. You know, when I was coming up, I was taught that if you're given a job to do, you do it. You don't have to have the boss standing over you. The one fellow we were talking to about this was telling how his company had hired some young people. One young man didn't want to work. Just flat didn't want to work, and uh, you know they tried to encourage him and tried to move him along and tried to get him with the program. Eventually, I had to let him go. And this fellow told me he said I sat him down and talked to him and <laughs> tried to get him to understand and to realize. Well, spiritually, that's kind of what Paul's dealing with here. Immaturity. Phillips goes on, he says, there was so much he wanted to teach them. All the great truths we find in Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, Thessalonians, Hebrews. Have you ever thought about that? Paul wrote all those epistles, and he wrote great things, deep things, doctrinal things, but he couldn't write that to Corinth. Now, I know God's in charge of what was written. God knew what the Corinthians needed, but it's a shame that that's what they needed. Phillips goes on, he would have liked to have taken them through the Old Testament, explaining the types, highlighting prophecy, showing them Christ. They, however, were restless under the most prosaic and elementary teaching. As for a full course of doctrine... Soteriology, pneumatology, anthropology, angelology, ecclesiology, theology, eschatology, and the like. They were nowhere near ready for that. He had to feed them as babes. So there's a spiritual principle. And that is the one I shared with you, how spiritual truths have to be administered with a regard to the receptive power of those who are hearing. And you know, it's, we can bring that over to the physical realm for understanding. You know, we have to take into account the ability of those that we administer physical food to when we're feeding them. For instance, you cannot feed an infant steak or pork chops or a big old ham steak. They can't handle it. Most of them don't have teeth to chew it. And probably their digestive systems are not ready for that. No, they need milk and what we call pablum and maybe even some jars of baby food. Have you ever seen those jars of baby food? Well, anyway. Some of those jars look like they've already been processed. I'll leave it there. So we can't give them that kind of food. We can give it to an adult, not to a child. And then... We can't teach a four- or five-year-old calculus and physics, et cetera. Now, every once in a while, a genius comes along who's an exception. I was not that genius. I can remember way back in the dark ages when I went to first and second grade, I learned one and one or two. And then we learned two and two are four. And we went all the way up to maybe 15 or 20. And then in second grade, we built on that. And we learned this thing called subtraction. And then in third and fourth grade, we got into multiplication and division. Whoa. How many of you learned the multiplication tables? I, I don't think kids learn them today. I really don't. They have their computers and their calculators, and if they don't have that, they're lost. But that's what we learned. And then, of course, we got up in fifth and sixth, and we got into fractions things of that nature. But see, all that was preparing us because I don't know where you were, but when I hit ninth grade, it was Algebra 1. First time through, I did not make it. Well, they didn't give me Algebra 1. They gave me what they called modern math. I was not modern I ended up having to go to summer school. I passed out with an A. It wasn't that I couldn't do the math. I was just a playboy. Didn't do any homework. Didn't study. But then as you go through, then here's algebra two, and here's geometry, and here's trigonometry, and here's calculus. But you see, you don't get all that as a child as a four and five year old you've got to grow and mature to be able to handle it it's the same spiritually listen there's a lot of things the new christian or the one who's not grown in in spiritual things is not going to grasp is not going to be able to understand and so it's imperative that we grow And I made myself a little note here. Sadly, there are far too many believers who can be classified as spiritually immature. And I want to remind you of this. Those believers cannot blame God. and they really can't blame the preacher because we all have a responsibility to feed ourselves, to study. Now, I know my job, a part of it is to feed you, and I try to do that. But I'm not with you seven days a week. And you need spiritual food every day. I haven't followed you around. I can't say this as fact, but when I see you, I assume that you're eating every day. Some of you more than once a day, twice a day, three times a day. And maybe you're guilty of that Taco Bell fourth meal of the day. But the point is you are feeding yourself every day, number one, because you get hungry, but number two, because you understand if I don't feed myself, I'm going to get weak and I'm going to get sick and I'm not going to be able to do what I'm supposed to do. The same is true spiritually. Get your nose in the book and get something. Get some food to sustain you. Because you need it. You know why a lot of Christians are losing the battle? Because they're weak, malnourished. Because they don't feed on the word of God. Well, we see the problem identified, but there's a second thing. Paul reveals the product that's realized. Look at verse 3. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul here makes a comparison between the spiritual believer and the carnal believer. Now, we have gone through chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he contrasts the natural man with the spiritual man. They're in verses 14 and 15. In verse 1 13, the spiritual man now versus the carnal man. Not natural and spiritual, but spiritual and carnal. You see, listen, hey, there are three kinds of people in this world. You can break the whole world down into three kinds of people. Number one are Christians, spiritual Christians, folks who are saved and trying to live for the Lord. That's one group. The second group is unsaved people. Now, we've all heard and know that you can divide the world in those two categories, saved, unsaved. Not a problem. These are people who have never received Christ. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't don't care about spiritual things. But there's a third group that we often overlook, and that is carnal Christians. These are folks who are saved. As I said, their position is they're in Christ. When they die, they're going to heaven. Paul talks about them, we'll see it. He says they're saved, and we would say today, by the skin of their teeth. So as yet by fire. But that's all they are. They don't live for the Lord. They live for this world. They're carnal. They would rather allow their flesh, their old nature, if you will, to run their lives. Now, we, we, listen, we didn't go around calling people carnal normally. But we do go around saying so and so is backslidden. Same thing, they're synonymous. If you're backslid on God, you're living for the flesh, and that makes you carnal. That's what carnal is. Have you ever had chili con corny? That's chili with meat. Carnal. And Paul says here, you're carnal and you are displaying your carnality without shame. Look at it there. He says, among you is envy and strife and divisions. You see, They were living and allowing the old nature to guide their lives. And that caused them to be an envying people. And that that word there is uh, zealous. And we get our word zeal from it. Now, normally, in a positive sense, zeal is good. But in a negative sense, it's not good. And that's how Paul's using it here. Envy. You know, sometimes we have trouble distinguishing between envy and jealousy. They're not the same thing. They're very close. Not the same thing. Uh, Dr. Oliver B. B. Green really made it clear. Here's what he said. He said, envy desires to deprive another of what he possesses. So when we envy somebody, we want them to lose what they have. We're envious that they have that. Jealousy, on the other hand, is the desire to have the same thing somebody else has. Carnal Christians are never satisfied. They're never never satisfied with what they have. They want what others have. Not only that, they're envious of other people who have things. Again, as we're reading Corinthians, remember how enamored they are with the gifts. And a part of their envy is they're envying other people who have gifts that they don't have. Maybe somebody can speak in tongues. Maybe somebody's able to heal. And by the way, when Paul's writing this, those gifts were in effect. And instead of rejoicing with somebody who had that gift, they would be envious and want them not to have that gift. Carnal Christians. There was not just envy, but he says there was strife. We don't have a problem understanding what that is. That's strife, that's fighting. Conflict. The word that's used there is a word for wrangling, for contention, for quarreling, and Paul says there was divisions among them. We'll get the picture. We're talking about a church. See, don't lose sight in, as you read your Bible of, of who you're dealing with. This is a church, a church that's supposed to belong to Christ. And within this church, there's a bunch of envying and divisions and strife. Paul says, that displays your carnality. You know, here's here's something I've experienced as a pastor. Some of you may have already experienced it in a church setting. But when you find a believer who is always contentious, always argumentative, always quarrelsome, you have just found a carnal Christian. Hmm? You see, these are folks who fail to display the spirit of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's never a time for disagreement, but there's a way to properly disagree. I thank God for our business meetings here. I've had visitors who observed our business meetings comment. Haven't seen business meetings like that. We don't have contention and division and those kind of things. And that's a good thing because it indicates the spiritual level of who we're dealing with. Now, do we ever have people that disagree? Absolutely. By the way, if, if you disagree with me on something, you're more than welcome to make an appointment and come see me and sit down across my desk and say, I disagree with this. We, we may come to a place of agreement. We may not. We may have to agree to disagree, but we do it properly. Obviously, these people weren't doing it properly. Somebody said, internal division and strife within the local church are a sure sign of carnality. You see, a carnal believer always wants their own way even more than Christ having his way. Whoa. Yeah. You see, a carnal believer is all wrapped up in me. They're not, they're not concerned about the Lord and what he wants. And then Paul says there were divisions among them. And that literally means there was an absence of unity. And there was this presence of disharmony and dissension. You see, carnal Christians have difficulty getting along with other people. Again, because they're not displaying the spirit of Christ. They're not being kind. They're not being gracious. They're not being. uh, They're they're not putting others ahead of themselves. As I said, it's all about them. And then Paul asks a rhetorical question there. He gives all this evidence. And then he says, are you not carnal and walk as men? Well. They already know the answer. Yeah, that's the problem. They're not spiritual. They haven't grown, and they're not acting like Christians. They're acting like unsaved people who let the flesh rule, not the spirit. To be carnal as a believer is to live according to the flesh or the natural man, and to walk as men means to Operate by the same standard as the unsaved. A believer ought to measure his life according to this book. Hello? The carnal man measures his life by what the world says. Hmm. Somebody said, since they are unsaved, natural men, and have not the spirit of God in them, I'm sorry, since the unsaved are natural men and have not the spirit of God in them, they can only walk as men. How many times have I said, unsaved people do what they do because they're unsaved? That's all they know. You know, a dog barks because it's a dog. A cow moves because it's a cow. Sinners sin because they're sinners. That's the natural man. But you see, God's people ought to rise above that standard. And we ought to be a people who live according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The problem's identified. The product is realized. And then the proof is verified in verse 4. He says, while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? We dealt with this already, how these people had divisions saying, well, I'm following Paul, and I'm following Apollos, and I'm following Cephas. I've put as a sub- Note here, the proof is verified. We find their sectarianism. Boy, is that a big word! It actually has the idea of being cultish, cliquish, following in little groups, separated from other groups. And that's how they were living. Their carnality here is illustrated, and Paul describes their position and their practice. Now, he gives the evidence. He cites their immature actions of splitting into various factions, following various leaders, instead of following Christ as a unified. Body, You know, that's what we're supposed to do is follow Christ as a unified body. We should have what we find in the early church, one accord. That's a unity of mind and spirit about where we're going and what we're doing. And actually, It's really not about what the preacher wants. It's not about what this guy wants or that gal wants or anybody. It's about what does the Lord want. The very thing Paul condemned here was something these Corinthians actually boasted about. They declared openly, I'm a, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paul. I'm a Cephas. And it was like painting a big sign on themselves. I'm carnal. <laughs> Let me give you this principle. Believers are never to be man-worshippers, but god worshippers. Pastor Fidena said preachers and teachers who exalt themselves and attempt to build a following among believers are as much to blame as the carnal Christians. In fact, these leaders are just as carnal as their followers. You know, it really shouldn't matter. It should never be, what does Dr. So-and-so say? Or what does evangelist so-and-so say? Or in reality, even what does pastor so-and-so say? It should always be, what does God say? Hmm. Paul brings this out over in chapter 11, verse 1. He puts everything in the right perspective when he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I hope you get what Paul's saying. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. I say that to you as a church. I'm your pastor, I'm to lead you. I'm your shepherd. But you follow the pastor as he follows Christ. It's sad, but from time to time, we hear about pastors who obviously are not following Christ. I've had people ask me, who are in that situation? What do we do? Most times, I tell them this. Leave that church. Don't make a mess. Don't split the church. Quietly leave the church. And let God deal with it. And he will. Be ye followers of me, even as I also of Christ, I said it just a few minutes ago, I say it again. I am not interested in doing what I want. I'm interested in doing what God wants. I do my dead level best to try to discern what does God want. You need to do your dead-level best to pray and discern what does God want. And see, when we do that, you know, I'm not all that smart, but I figured this out. I have the Holy Spirit who lives within me and guides me. And if you're saved, You have the same Holy Spirit. And he's not going to go against himself. So if you pray and I pray, we're going to come to the same place. Hello? See, I figured that out. The problem comes when you get somebody who's carnal, And they don't pray. And they don't let the Holy Spirit lead them. Now, get the picture. Here we meet together as a church to make a decision. All right, a few months ago, we decided to pave the parking lot. We had a vote. Nobody voted no. I believe we had a unified spirit. Okay, but just, just think. If, for instance, we were in agreement and then one person in the whole church raised their hand and said, we can't spend that money, blah, 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 blah. Oh Wait a minute, we got a whole church that's prayed and they're of a unified spirit. All of a sudden, we got somebody who's, Opposed. Now, sometimes people have good reasons for opposing, but sometimes it's just because they're carnal and they're looking at things through the natural man's eyes rather than the spiritual man's eyes. Well, let me wrap this up. Probably what we're talking about tonight is the most prevalent sin in the church of today. Just like it was in Paul's day. Carnality. As a pastor being around saved people, it seems like the majority of saved people today want to live to please their flesh rather than please God. Hmm. And this is very evident, if you will, And the lack of growth among professing Christians. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we have the establishment of mega churches in California. Can't remember where the other one was, Minnesota. Was it Minnesota, Pastor Meyer? Do you remember? Rick Warren was one of the pastors. And uh, there were a couple others who built these mega churches. Chuck Smith from California. But uh, Rick Warren told how he built that big church. And he said what he did was he went around knocking on doors and asking people, What do you want in a church? And they would tell him Well, we don't like pulpits. And we don't think the preacher ought to wear a jacket and tie. And we want modern music. And we don't want pews. We want it to be come as you are and casual. And we do not want hard preaching. Marked it all down. And then he started a church to give them all those things they wanted. Well, of course it grew. I mean, it mushroomed. They are running thousands. But a few years ago, he came out and made statement. I can't quote him, but in essence, here's what he said. We've realized we've made a great mistake. We've built a crowd, but we've not built people. Our people are spiritually immature. I think that that goes across evangelicalism today. I think if you walked into a lot of churches and asked them about some biblical questions, many of the people could not answer. I wonder how many Christians If you ask them, where in the Bible can I find the deity of Christ? Would have an idea? John 1 1. Simple. If you ask them, again, different theological questions, I really uh, wonder how many could give you a good answer. I don't know. I don't listen to him. I have, briefly. If you took Joel Osteen's people and asked him a theological question, how many of them do you think would be able to give you a good answer? Now, they may be saved. I'm not judging their salvation. But listen, there's more to it than being saved. We need to grow. The fact is, we simply need to grow up. Now, let me balance this. Some degree of carnality in new converts is understandable. You with me? I'm not excusing sin. I don't know how it was with you, but when I got saved, all of my issues spiritually didn't go away. Some did. Some it took me a while to deal with. Some I'm still dealing with. A new convert is a baby. The truth is we don't expect much from babies. You don't get a baby and bring them home and the next day tell them to take the trash out. Actually, babies need care. They need help. And we invest in them so they grow. We teach them how to hold a spoon so they can feed themselves. We help them to learn to walk. Hopefully, we get them potty trained. Eventually, we teach them their colors. And on and on we could go. But it's a process. And so with the new convert, we don't excuse things in their life, but we understand we've got to give them a chance to grow. This idea of, let's say, giving grace, giving latitude to a new convert is a wonderful thing, but it shouldn't be necessary for people who have been saved a number of years. They should have grown. They should have taken care of some things in their life that need taken care of. Somebody said, instead of boasting in our carnality as in Corinth, we should be ashamed. As I read these verses, I see a warning. I see the alarm being sounded. And it sounded to all believers, and it's a very simple alarm. Grow up spiritually. Bow your heads for just a minute. By the way, if you're looking for a title, I know Aiden will be looking for one. I've titled it Old Baby Christians. Sounds like an oxymoron. Tonight, we've dealt with carnality. We've talked about some of the indicators. And we've talked about the basic reason of carnality. Immaturity. I wonder if God's spoken to some hearts tonight. about this thing of immaturity, failing to grow as you are. You're a Christian. You settled that issue a long time ago, but you really don't study. You really haven't seen much progress in your Christian life. You're really, really not tuned To the Holy Spirit's leadership, you're rather tuned to your own leadership and your flesh's leadership. Tonight, God spoke to your heart. Would you just indicate that with the uplifted hand? Preacher, God spoke to me tonight. Here's my hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, thank you for the warning that we see there. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to become satisfied with the progress we've made. But Lord, the fact is, we're to continue growing and maturing till you take us home. You said in your word that you were working on us to conform us to the image of your dear son. And that's a continuous work. Help us to be cooperative, to be yielded, to allow you to have your way rather than us having our way. And help us to grow that we not be babes, Help us to feed ourselves, to exercise ourselves spiritually. So we might grow into the people you want us to be, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.